Holy Spirit, we just love You. We do just love Your presence, Lord. Just manifest Yourself. Just increase more and more, God. We just glory in You today, God. Bless Your name, Lord. Bless Your name, God. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for Your love poured out, God. Thank You, Lord. Amen. I want to talk about four ways to swim deeper. Alright, four ways to swim deeper. Now, um, how many of you guys have been in this church less than three years? Less than three years. Okay, so quite a few people. Um, you know, in the fall of 2006, we just had a really kind of a new to us um, pouring out of God's Spirit, the river of the Holy Spirit. You know, that He gave us a lot of revelation on out of Ezekiel 47 and the pouring out of the river. You know, Ezekiel says that the, he saw a river, right? Coming from, the, coming from the temple. And as that river went, it, it was first ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep. And it got to the point where it was so deep that you could only swim in it. And uh, I would describe the fall of 2006 and probably going on in 2007 and such as like an ankle deep and then a kind of a knee deep feeling for us. And uh, this week I was talking to some people, I think it was Ryan that was saying this, we were talking about this, what the Lord had done, and he said, you know how uh, when you wade into a, like an actual river and there's running, rushing water there, how you can really feel that rushing against your ankles and your legs. It can almost take you off your feet if you aren't really aware of that. But then once you're actually submerged or it's over your head, you can kind of just kind of go along with the flow. And, and, and I was like, and so we were like, yeah. And he was like, it's almost like what the Lord's done with us. It's like at first, when you first jump in and get in there at ankle and knee level, it can be so overwhelming that physically... You almost, it causes manifestations in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many, uh, there's such an intense intensity to the presence of the Lord that sometimes you can just get swept off your feet. Um, you never know what the Holy Spirit might do with you. And, uh, but at the same time, as the river grows deeper, eventually there may be some of that, but mostly you're learning how to flow in the streams and the eddies of the river and kind of navigate with the river. Are you following the analogy? And uh, so I want to encourage you this morning, jump in the river. Because I'm, I'm here to tell you, especially for you guys who have been here a long time, the river of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, for you newcomers, is a real spiritual phenomenon, we realize. It's a, it's a real spiritual manifestation, Revelation 22, that flows from the throne of heaven. And if you haven't already, jump in because it's good. <laughs> and it will have, like Byron said about the Lord's presence, it will have a profound and a deep impact on your life. Not just on your life, but on the way that you see things. On your perspective on your spiritual life. Which absolutely has everything to do with your natural life. Your job, your family, your children, you know, whatever it may be. So jump in the river and just really go for it. Um, so what I want to I talk about four ways to swim deeper. 
that we are swimming deeper. And in 2010, just to encourage us that these are things that the Lord has given us practically that we can do to just step into deeper realms of His Spirit. Amen? Uh, I have this testimony on DVD by this guy named Ian McCormick. And uh, he is from New Zealand. I grew up in New Zealand. And uh, actually, I think he's at Bill Johnson's church this week. I know it's on his website. But uh, what happened with him, just briefly, was his mom was a Christian and everything, but he grew up not really saved, didn't know the Lord. And after high school, decided he was going to tour the Southeast Asia. He was a surfer, really into surfing. So he was going to go throughout Southeast Asia on this pursuit of the endless summer, you know. And uh, so he did that, and uh, he was in one of the islands or something. And one night he was swimming, or he, they were actually uh, snorkeling, diving, something like that. And without knowing it, in the dark waters, he got into a school of box jellyfish, which happened to be some of the most lethal um, jellyfish and in, in, uh, marine life on the planet. And the venom, you know, just took over his body. And long story short, he, he ends up, in, finally got in an ambulance, um, thankfully, and while he was in the ambulance, without anybody telling me, he began to see visions on the ceiling of the ambulance as he's lying there on the way to the hospital. And in the visions, he sees his mom. And his mom says, Ian, just call out to the Lord. Just call out. Get, get this, there's nobody telling him this. In a vision, this just blows my mind. And then he sees, literally in a vision, the words of the Lord's prayer flash on the ceiling of the of the. Uh, of the ambulance. And he begins to just read the words, the Lord's Prayer. He said, and I've, you know, I wrote, uh, repetitively read this before. He said, but for the first time in my life, as I read these words, something changed inside my heart. And he said, I became born again. Well, as I read the Lord's Prayer. So then he gets to the hospital. And, you know, when you're in that state of in between consciousness, many times you have this experience of just wanting to go to sleep. But this guy, who was an angel, he said later, had to have been an angel, kept telling him, don't go to sleep, Ian. If you go to sleep, you'll never wake up. But at, finally, once he was in the hospital, he thought, well, I'll just, go to, I'll just close my eyes for a few minutes. And then, well, when he did, he died. Okay, he flatlined. And, um, and then he described this awareness that was very peculiar to me, but is really fascinating. And he found himself kind of in this dark room and he thought well that's really weird why did they turn the lights out in my hospital room i mean that's literally the thoughts he's having and he's feeling around trying to feel the bed he's like did they move me to a bed i can't feel the, i can't find the walls i can't find my bed and finally he touches his face and his hand like goes through his face he's like okay that's really strange and then he sees he sees these like dark eyes as he described it and on this DVD, there's a reenactment, which is probably fails in comparison to the actual experience, but it really helps give you a visual. He sees these dark eyes kind of glaring at him. And then just that quick, this shaft of light permeates that dark room, and he's like taken up in this being the shaft of light. And as he's taken up, he sees this little window into the most beautiful... Uh, world he's ever seen. He's like, the light and the colors were so vivid and brilliant. He's like, it's really hard to explain. There's nothing on earth that compares to that. But it just, everything just shone with this light. You know, and then as he's standing there, I guess on the gates of heaven, the outskirts of paradise, Jesus comes to him. 
And what he describes next is so overwhelming to me. He says that Jesus just stands there and there's this brilliant light that everything about him is just light. And it just shines at him. And he said, it's not that you can't understand it because you know how if you look at the sun, you can't. Like it's so. He's like, it's not like that. Like it's really brilliant, but it doesn't hurt your eyes. And, uh, and the Lord just extends his hand to him and he keeps having these feelings of, Lord, I'm not worthy. You don't know what I've done. You know, I, I've done all these sins, I, you know, all these things. And he said all he felt was just waves of love. Just waves of love. Just wave after wave after wave of light and love. Light and love. It's like they're inseparable. Light and love. And the Lord says to him, Ian, do you want to come in here or do you want to go back? And he says, well, I'm young. I'm not married. I I got nothing to go back to, so I want to go in. And just that quick, he looks back and he sees a vision of his mother standing behind him. And he said, I couldn't bear the thought of my mother getting a telegram in, in New Zealand saying your son has died and her living the rest of her life thinking that I died and gone to hell. So he said, I want to go back. And right that instant, his spirit came back into his body and he was being prepared for autopsy or something. He, there was a guy with a scalpel pricking his foot at the bottom and he opens his eyes kind of sits up and the guy's like, <laughs> very alarmed by this, you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> um, it's like if you think about Jesus' disciple John, who started many of the churches in Asia Minor. I found out he he was sent to Ephesus, had a big impact there. Think about this guy John. I mean, here's a guy just doing his job, which is fishing, you know, and this man with this light comes and develops this, initiates a relationship with him and says, why don't you come follow me? And obviously there's just something about this man. You know, I can just imagine put myself in his shoes. And he follows after him. And if you think about what John went through, he was one of the three guys that saw Jesus transfigured, you know, on the mountain. I mean, he had this profound heavenly experience. Moses and Elijah, I mean, two dead guys come. I mean, what? You know, uh, he has this experience. And then right after that, he also has the experience where the father comes that John and his friends couldn't get his boy delivered from a demon. You remember that? And, and finally Jesus does it. And then he's like, come on, guys, you know, and he explains to them, you know, what's going on with this. And like you're, you're put yourself in John's shoes. These are the types of experiences you're having on this earth. You know, and then after everything happens and Jesus ascends into heaven, you're so influenced and uh, by his ministry still and his presence and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes and you travel around and you found like 10 churches and go and help pastor a church at Ephesus. And think about what John wrote after um, you know, probably in his later years, in like 80 A.D. or something, he writes his account of the Gospel of John. And then he writes three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he also writes the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, we talk about Paul a lot because of his influential writings in the New Testament. But second only to Paul, really, I don't think you can rank them first and second. But with just as much impact and influence, think about all the words that John wrote. You know? And some of the most powerful words, I believe, because they're heavenly words, that he wrote is in John 1.1, And the light came into the world, but the darkness knew it not. You see, these aren't just figurative languages here. I realize from Ian's testimony that Jesus is light. He is light. And He loved the world so much that He gave His own life freely. These are some of the other words that John writes. Light and love, they're intercombined. And I just have this great desire for light to permeate from me spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Physically would be good, but... Yeah, there's just something like people, just something about that guy, you know. It's like uh, yes, day before yesterday, I went to pick, I had was had my car in the shop, and I go to this really redneck mechanic, you know, shop and everything. I really, he's a really honest guy. I really like him. That's why I take my car there. And I go in and like to pick the car up, and I'm paying for it, and I can hardly breathe. There's so much cigarette smoke in the air, you know, and I leave, and I'm thinking, man, my wife's going to think I've smoked a pack of cigarettes on the way home, you know, how that's so just clean. And while I'm there, it's like the guy is using the most offensive language to me, like racial slurs. He's not speaking to me. He's just talking to other people. Racial slurs and all this stuff, and I'm like, good gracious, Lord, what is up with this guy, you know? What is wrong with him? And and, and uh, I mean, Lord, how do you, how could I, what would I ever say to a guy like that? You know, what, what do you say? I mean, how do you reach that? And it, I just felt this sense from the Lord. He's never experienced a father's love. His issue is not his racism. His issue is not his perversion or whatever it is. His issue is a lack of love. He has a love lack in his life. Like, Lord, how can I be loved? How can I let light just permeate from within inside of me? I believe it's connected to that radiant glory that Moses shone with. It's the same because it's heaven's light. You know, the Bible says that in heaven, in Revelation 22, there's literally no need for the sun. Because God is light. And, he, and that light is love. They're synonymous. They don't separate like we need to do in our language and our minds. They are synonymous. In fact, let's look at that Revelation 22 one more time. Or if you're new around here, it may be the first time in a while you've looked at the last chapter of the Bible. But Ezekiel had that vision of the river. And when Jesus was pierced, His side was pierced, the water poured out of His side and released Heaven's river into the earth. And then here's the words that this guy John writes. He says, in Revelation 22.1, And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. Hey, by the way, side note, has anybody ever heard of that child prodigy artist, poet, Akiana? If you look her name up if you haven't. A-K-I-I-A-N-E or something like that. A-K-I-A-N-E, I believe. Akiana. At four years old, Jesus came into her room and began to take her to heaven. Her parents were atheists. Never been to church. 
Okay? And she began to paint and draw at age four. By age seven, eight, she's drawing classical works of art, like in that style, that are phenomenal. One of her pieces of art are of the river. The river in heaven. I'm like, man, that's... So as I was thinking about this, I looked back at that on the internet. Because I was like, there it is. She saw it. And many people who have been to heaven have seen this river. It's a real river that we'll see in the natural for real in that existence and is spiritually flowing through. The Lord may open your eyes to see it. Byron's seen glimpses of it. Others of you too. But it's a real thing that flows. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Uh, Ezekiel describes it as leaves of medicine. Literally for healing. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be, here it is, here's the light, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. You know this guy John? You know what he did? What he went through? Nero, the Roman emperor of the first century, you know, he was really bad dude and massacring Christians. A lot of the early church leaders gave their lives in all kinds of ways. He had, he, uh, John had to go from Ephesus to Rome, and Nero had him put in a pot full of boiling oil. But history records that he got out of the pot, miraculously unharmed. Can you imagine that? A pot, a cauldron, it described, a cauldron of boiling oil, and you get out of it. I mean, it's boiling. It's really hot. You don't just. In the natural escape, that almost like the, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, just like that, completely unharmed. It wasn't his time to go. God has kingdom purposes. Now, as you spoke of last week, Byron, Paul eventually it was his time to go, and he was what beheaded, right? The apostle Paul. But John is the only one of those disciples that didn't meet an end in that way. He died a natural death on the island of Patmos. Maybe. But Domitian, who was the next emperor, did exile him. And I can just imagine. I mean, after your predecessor, Nero, has put a dude in boiling oil and he didn't die, (laughs) you must be thinking, uh, I don't know what the legends were, but you can't kill this dude. You might as well just get him as far away from (laughs) society as you can and just limit his impact. Ah, the tricks on Domitian. The emperor, he sticks him on the island of Patmos and he writes the most phenomenal book of probably the whole world. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about the impact and what these guys have actually gone through and then what they wrote about. If that doesn't give you fresh perspective in revelation as you read the revelation of Jesus Christ, I don't know what will. It sure has meant a lot to me. So here's what I see that the Lord has given us. In all this, four ways to swim deeper. Number one, get baptized in the Holy Ghost and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus said there will flow rivers from your belly, that's where it comes from. It comes from the another comforter that He said will come when He goes away. He'll come and He'll fill your belly with living water that just pumps and pumps and pumps 
and pump some more. <laughs> it won't stop pumping. And by the way, make sure you ask for the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is one of the big keys to swimming deeper in the river. When you know not what to pray, just let it flow. So this morning, if you've never received the gift of tongues, the Lord will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and give you the gift of tongues. Just receive it by faith this morning. So that's one of the altar call things this morning. You need to be filled with tongues. 2010 is a great time. Just get baptized. Get baptized fresh, man. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> that's right. And by the way, all this stuff about, well, what about the rules Paul puts on tongues and da-da-da? Listen. That's a natural mindset of trying to fit God into the pages of this book here in the English words. Okay? The point Paul was trying to make is that, there, that the Lord does have a holy chaos here, but there's a way for this thing to operate. But, you know, you don't need to be limited by, oh man, Matthew just spoke in tongues, but there wasn't an interpreter. Okay? I could talk to you more about that privately, but I, I, I've talked to a lot of people that get so tripped up by that that they can't even receive the baptism because they got all these questions about, well, how is it supposed to be used? And, I mean, there's all these questions, and uh, that's really a discussion for another time, but I did want to throw that in there. Number two, purify the inner man. Allow the inner man to be purified. I want to look at 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9. One of these letters that John wrote, same guy again. Yeah, there it is. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, you see the light there? I mean... Given that heavenly light love thing, it may, doesn't it just make that almost so much more meaningful? As we walk in the love light, as He's in the light, love, we have fellowship with one another. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't pretend like we don't have sin. And honestly, you know, a spiritual inventory is a good thing to do. Anytime, but periodically, especially at the beginning of the year. Just let the Lord shine His love light. Because it's all out of love. It's never out of anger. Make sure you get that. Upon your sin. I realize in the press, you know, the wine press of 2009, <laughs> oh, wow. The Lord is shining things in my heart that aren't good, guys. But it's all because He loves me. And He just wants to give me an opportunity to deal with it. Finally. You know? So, you know, we, we have a ministry in this church set up where you can just sit down with one or two other people confidentially and go through a spiritual inventory. You know, a forgiveness list, a confession list. 
You know, just it could be back from when you were eight years old, and it doesn't have to be. Just whatever the Lord, just sit down, and you don't have. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying it's available. You know, in fact, there's a uh, card out there on the foyer table that looks like this. It's called Sozo Ministry, and Sozo, again, if you're new, just is the Greek word in the New Testament for saved, healed, and delivered. Okay, and you can call the church office and set up an appointment if you're a man with a man, if you're a woman with a woman. I mean, honestly, I think everybody, you know, there's no shame in this. We can all do this. In fact, I'm going to do it with somebody this week, you know, because I just want the Lord, because He loves me so much, to continue to purify my heart. Why? Well, number one, because I love Him so much and I want my life to be like His as much as possible. And number two, because it's a big key to swimming deeper in the river. The pure in heart will see God. Amen. I just feel like the Lord's been speaking to me about this year specifically. Um, it's kind of like this vision my mom had. It was a dream. And it's like there was a dump truck and it was full of gunk from everything just that we'd gone through that, you know, that just was just kind of sitting there. And then she saw this water just rush down and wash out the dump truck and wash it on out. And I just feel like the Lord wants us, He's been reminding me this week too, just to be careful that our hearts really do stay soft. That the Lord really does want to come without us even realizing it. You know, because of this idea of standing up and, and, and surviving situations. I mean, you just... You just go through things we've gone through this past year, and it's like, okay, just fighting off the fear, the, the um, doubt, and the things that want to come at you in the middle of all those things, you kind of get this, you know, survival mentality. And the Lord's saying, I just love you. And with that love and that light, He's just wanting to come to wash over our hearts and wash that letting getting in that river and letting the river of the Lord just wash over you and wash that gunk and, and just not let it stay there because if you let it stay there, it really will, there will be roots there that will mess with you, you know, and will, will hinder you from being able to go forward. But the Lord's saying, I just love you. I just love you and I want to love on you and allow that stuff to be washed out. Amen. That's good unforgiveness, any of those things, like she said, in this year. It's just so easy. You know, those things can creep in without even you really consciously being that aware of it. So I know uh, John and Carol Arnott, pastors of Toronto, I've heard them say they go and get inner healing about once a year. Because they said just being in the ministry, you can't be in the ministry without continually having cause for offense and being hurt and just all these things. And uh, so, yeah, it's for everybody. So, Swimming in the river, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, purify the inner man. And third, yield your mind and your heart. Yield your mind and your heart. Let's look at 1 John 4.16 for this. The first part of that passage says, I really like this, the way that this is worded here. John words this. He says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Let's start, stop right there. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And I want to remind you of the progression that Byron has given us this revelation on from John chapter 20, I'm sorry, Luke 24, 
where the progression towards understanding something is first hearing, then seeing, and then you understand spiritually. I call that the process to revelation. First hear something, then see something, then understand something. And I think this passage here is kind of linked to that because he says, first we, and we have known and believed that God had the love that God has for us. So let's yield our minds and our hearts to that love. Number one, receiving it, so knowing it. And number two, believing it so that we can give it. Does that make sense? And really, this whole passage here is speaking of this. Let's start in uh, 1 John 4, 7. Okay, and this is really about knowing. Knowing the love of God here. Okay, and it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Okay, let me just, let me remind you what that love is, what that agape is. Alright, here's a definition. Agape denotes an undefeatable benevolence and an unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person, no matter what he does. It is the self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return and does not consider the worth of its object. Agape is more a love by choice than philos, which is love by chance. And it refers to the will rather than the emotion. Agape describes the unconditional love God has for the world. So with that in mind, let me read this again. Beloved friends, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who knows, I'm sorry, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might love through Him. Do you get that? That we might love, live. <laughs> I think it's the same thing. That we might live though through Him. Not through ourselves, but through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to the, be the propitiation or the substitute, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John's really describing this love that he knows. Remember, here's the other thing about John. He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In fact, do you have that John 13.23 up there, Pam? Yeah, pull that up. I just want to go back to this. Because I think in this context, it's so enlightening. Oh, it's not on the list. Sorry. Well, whatever the case is, you know, in this situation, John is reclining. Oh, there it is. Here's what he writes. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. See how deep he knew the love of Jesus. It was like just laying on His chest. I just, he just felt this impartation and knew how much He was loved. Knowing the love of God. It can't be stressed enough. It's the biggest key. 
All right, let's read on in verse 12. This is seeing the love of God. Because it says here, no one has seen God at any time. Okay? No one's seen God at any time. That's an interesting statement by itself, but it's not by itself. Because he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. So in other words, how do we see God? We see God in our love. We see God in the love that we received. That's spiritually seeing God. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known, first we know, and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. So that's the fourth thing right there is abide in love. Abiding. Abiding. Doesn't John talk about that also in his Gospel? He's talking about we are the vine, He's the branches. If you remain in Him, this principle of abiding. Such an a incredible revelation, really. Abiding in love. And I love the way John says it there in verse 16, that God is love and He who abides in love abides in God. Because one of my questions to the Lord has often been, Lord, how do I walk in the Spirit? Or practically, Lord, you know, how do, how do I abide in You? What does that mean? And he's like, he, he says it right here. Abide in my love, Matthew. He that abides in love abides in Me. You cannot be separated from that. Which is that agape, that unconditional, that owes no return. So number one, get filled, get drunk in the Holy Spirit as often as possible. <laughs> Speak in tongues. Allow the Lord to illuminate and purify your inner man. Number three, yield your heart and mind to the way that He wants to bring revelation to you. And fourth, abide in the Father's love. Amen? In conclusion, one more verse here. And I'm going to flip over to Romans 5. It's not written by John, but it's a great verse and something that the Lord did to me I have experience with several years ago a couple years ago I guess and that's Romans 5.5 5. It says now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us let the Holy Spirit through the baptism through His drunkenness that's one of the biggest things you just love people when you get drunk in the Holy Spirit. Has anybody ever noticed that? It, but it's supernatural love. It really is very powerful. A supernatural, intoxicating love, agape love for people as the Lord it fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let the love be poured out. I refer to it as liquid love. It pours down in your quiet time. Soaking, just sitting before the Lord so that you have it a way to, to give away like the mechanic at the shop, you know? <laughs> so, amen?